Today's scripture reading is found in the book of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Please pray with me. Lord, our God, in the reading and proclamation of your word, we pray you will illumine our minds and hearts so that we may hear and understand your word, know and live according to your word, and become living letters of your word, equipped to follow Jesus in every part of our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord, the living word. Amen. So we're in the middle of a message series during Advent called The Waiting Room. And as we uh, wait, oftentimes we don't always have a belief that God's going to do something great. Sometimes, especially if we're in a difficult circumstance and we're waiting, sometimes we're skeptical, we doubt God in the midst of that. When I was 14 years old, we were living in a community in southeast Texas at the time, the very corner of southeast Texas called Beaumont. And we'd only lived there about a year and a half uh, at that point. And it finally was becoming, uh, felt like home eventually. And I was starting to feel comfortable. I'd met a set of friends. Uh, we found a good church that had a really good youth group. I felt like I was in a good school. So I was feeling pretty good at that point. And I didn't necessarily feel like Beaumont was the greatest place in the world, but, you know, I was feeling pretty good about things. And so later that summer, between my eighth grade and my ninth grade year, my parents sat down with me one day and said, guess what? We're going to be moving later on this fall. And I was like, Yippee, I'm so excited that we're going to be moving. Not really. But, uh, you know, my, they, they explained to me that my dad had purchased a radio station, which was his professional goal. He had always worked in radio and had always wanted to own and manage a radio station, so they had bought one. And uh, we were going to be moving in all places, Salina, Kansas. Uh, and I was somewhat familiar with Salina, only in the terms of we had driven up and down I-70 quite a bit when I was growing up, going to western Kansas to see my grandparents, and I had always seen Salina as we were driving by. Well, I will admit that Salina from I-70 isn't that impressive. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. You don't really see much of the town. And so my assumptions were of Salina was that it wasn't all that large, it wasn't all that exciting, and it wasn't all that appealing. So uh, I was not excited. And um, while it was my dad's goal professionally, it wasn't my goal to move in the middle of my freshman year of high school. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really get much say in those kinds of things. And so here we go. We're going to move. Well, the good news is I will say 40 years later, I don't hold the same opinions of Salina that I did when I was 14 years old. Uh, I actually think it's a really wonderful place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. And from my experience, it's a great place to find a spouse. So it's all worked uh, for God for the good. But 40 years ago, uh, as I thought about things, I, I didn't think anything good would come from a place like Salina. Nathaniel in this story feels the same way about Nazareth. 
He felt like Nazareth was that kind of place. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he gets the invitation, come and see. Come and see, Nathaniel. So in the Bible story, Jesus finds Philip first. And so then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and tells Nathaniel that he's found the Messiah, somehow forgetting that it was Jesus who found Philip, not the other way around. We do that sometimes. And Nathaniel, Philip says, we found, we found him. We found the Messiah, the one that Moses and all the prophets had written about in the Old Testament. And we know who he is. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And when he said from Nazareth, it was like Nathaniel looked at him and like he had just told him that Kansas State was going to win the NCAA basketball tournament. No way, dude. There's no way. Not from Nazareth. There is no way can anything good come out of Nazareth, especially the Savior of the world. So in preparation for this message, I read a lot about Nazareth. And I come to learn that Nazareth was really a pretty small village at the time when Jesus lived. It only had about 200 people who lived there. It was located not far off of a major trade route that went all the way from Egypt to Asia. It was called the Via Maris. And, uh, and it was really a very popular trade route. And picture it, it's almost like, you know, going through western Kansas and, you know, one of these small farming communities that you see an exit sign off of this major trade route we call I-70. And that's a little bit what Nazareth would have been like. It didn't have any industry of its own. It depended economically on the city of Sephoris, which is the largest city and kind of the capital of the region of Galilee. And Sephoris was the place where all the action was. It would have been like the place where all the movie theaters were at or in that day where at least the Roman theater was at. And Sephoris was the place where all the, you know, the young people went to work, to go get a job. It was the place where all the action was. In Nazareth, well, there was nothing much exciting about Nazareth. There wasn't anything at least newsworthy in the town. The people of Nazareth weren't uh, typically very well educated. Uh, If they earned a living, it was by the sweat of their brow. They struggled tremendously. It was a kind of a poor region. They didn't feel very good about themselves. They didn't have a lot to aspire to. Generally, ancient scholars tend to agree that the inhabitants of Nazareth were looked down on by most of the other towns and cities in the region of Galilee. One scholar wrote that the character of Nazareth was provincially bad. To be a Galilean or a Nazarene was an expression of contempt. Think about, like in our culture, the word hillbilly would have been very similar The people even were thought to be wicked. There was quite a few Gentiles that actually lived in that part of Israel, and so they weren't looked upon very favorably. Another scholar wrote this about Galilee. He said the whole country of Galilee was in contempt with the Jews, but Nazareth Nazareth was so mean a place that it seemed that it was even despised by its neighbors, by the Galileans themselves. So when Philip says, we've found the Messiah, and he's from... Well, this insignificant little farming village called Nazareth, Nathaniel responds, can anything good come from Nazareth? Have you ever wondered the same thing about a place or a person or even a circumstance that you're in? Perhaps you've even wondered that about yourself. Can anything good come from me? I've wondered that at times. Not about you, but about me. So how are you feeling this morning? What brought you here? Has it been an inspiring week or has it been an awful week? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? Do you wonder if even God loves you? I'm here to tell you the one thing, that God loves you. God loves you no matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from. 
Our story today reminds us that God does not see as we see. God's vision is deeper, wider, more accurate than our vision. It's a vision to which Jesus calls each one of us and helps us to develop. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel's got some opinion. He has some assumptions about Nazareth. Do you ever make assumptions? I've never, I've seen his type before. He'll never change. She's always so negative. I know what she's going to say. My parents will never let me do that. They never let me do anything I want to do. He won't understand. He never does. It's always been like that. It's never going to get any better. Nothing good can come out of that situation. People of faith, people like Nathaniel, people like you and I, make assumptions every day, don't we? Sometimes our assumptions are about other people. Other times they are about particular situations. Our marriage, the state of the country, you know, uh, a teenager trying to grow up. We, and we declare these situations as being hopeless. We can look at 2020 and wonder, is anything gonna con- good going to come out of this year? Like look at COVID-19, anything good going to come out of that? We can look at the racial tensions this year, the political tensions. And we can look at situations like this and we can come to the conclusion that surely nothing good is going to come from this. Then there are times that we even look at ourselves or a part of our life and maybe it's a secret that we've carried for many years or maybe it's a disease that we face every day or a habit that we, uh, that we have, an addiction that we hide. Maybe the hurts that we've caused, the loneliness, the lostness of grief, and we say, it's never going to get any better. How can anything good come out of this? The assumptions we make can even destroy relationships, love, our life. Oftentimes we think we know more than we really do know. Assumptions act like limitations. These things narrow our vision. It limits what we can see and the possibilities. They close off the possibility of change or even growth, and our assumptions can deny the possibility of reconciliation, healing, a different way of being, or even a new way of life. Ultimately, they impoverish our faith, and they they make us proclaim that there is no place here that we can see that God is going to work. Assumptions can become a hiding place for us. They tend not to be fruitful, They keep us from engaging in life, ourselves, each other, and and even God at a deeper level. I mean, think about it. Countless biblical stories remind us of how God works in in people and places that we least expect. Think about it. David, the youngest, the least expected of Jesse's sons, is the one who God picks to be the king of Israel. Solomon, the child that's born from a relationship that began in an adulterous way, that also had murder involved, Solomon becomes the king that brings Israel to the pinnacle of its state. Moses asks God, God, why would you pick me, somebody who stutters, to be your representative in front of the greatest leader in the world? We think about Peter that denies and and uh, impulsive, and he becomes the leader of the apostles, the leader of the early church. We can think about the apostle Paul, who initially was somebody who terrorized the early church, and then he ultimately becomes the greatest missionary in the in the church. Over and over and over again, God takes uh, people, normal human beings, infallible human beings, and does great things. God has created each one of us with the great potential to be an instrument of God's love and God's grace. 
Don't let assumptions about yourself or from other people get in your way of who God is calling you to be. I know it's just really hard sometimes to imagine that anything good can come from a place like Nazareth in our lives. We cannot believe that God can be present, active, and transformative in these places, whether it's a homeless person in the street or a rebellious young person or a rich, uh, selfish person, a complaining neighbor, or even our own life. It's so hard to see life in the midst of death, hope in times of despair, and even good and the good and beautiful and what looks like to be bad and ugly. But hey, our faith all hinges on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that Jesus is going to raise each one of us from the dead as well who believe and trust in him. Nazareth is the place where God transforms, heals, and reveals himself. Thankfully, God is not limited by our assumptions. For every Nazareth, there's an invitation from the Lord to come and see. Come and see. The words are both simple and inviting, issuing a simple invitation not only to come and see, but also to to come and join a community, to come and be a part of something even bigger than ourselves. Come and see. The theme of come and see is really important. Think about it. Mom and Dad, come and see our new baby. He or she's the cutest baby ever. We use this phrase come and see often in our lives, right? We want people to come and see something that's important in our lives. Come and see our new home. Come and see our garden and all the flowers that are blooming. Come and see our new car. Won't you come and see? We're excited. We invite people to come check out the things that we're excited about. And these words, this invitation, form not just the heart of this story early in the Gospel of John, but literally it's a theme that runs all the way through the Gospel of John from the beginning to the end. God, Jesus is encountering people over and over again from these early disciples in this story to the Pharisee named Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman at the well to the man who was born blind ultimately to to Peter and even to Pilate and then eventually even to Thomas. Characters throughout this gospel are encountered by Jesus and so across the pages of the story that John tells us there are women and men, there are Jews and Samaritans, there are rich and poor, there are powerful and vulnerable, there are people of all shapes, sizes, and various forms that Jesus meets, and in each one and in each and every way, Jesus basically offers the same words to every person. Come and see. Come and see God do a new thing. Come and see uh, as your future opens up in front of your eyes. Come and see the grace of God that's made manifest and available and accessible to all. Come and see. Philip went and found his friend Nathaniel, and he said, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see and meet this guy named Jesus that I met. Come on, you've got to come see him. And so Nathaniel goes, and he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, the first thing he says about Nathaniel, he says, there's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, have we met? I don't, I don't remember meeting you, this guy named Jesus. How do you know me? And Jesus said to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the fig tree earlier. And Jesus sees and he knows Nathaniel, and he sees and he knows each one of us. He knows us so well. This is what I would call the best news and the worst news. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. It's a little bit frightening, don't you think? At the same time, he knows us and he loves us completely. 
which is the foundation of our lives in Christ. And we often think that God looks at us and, and our thoughts are sometimes that his first thoughts about us are judgment and contempt. And he's thinking about all the wrong things that we've done and all the sin that we've committed. And think about this. Nathaniel has just insulted Jesus in his hometown, literally. Now, Jesus may have overheard that, or Jesus we know is God's son, God in flesh. He already knows what Nathaniel either said or thought. And Jesus doesn't respond initially, the very first thing that doesn't come out of his mouth. He doesn't say, Nathaniel, what are you doing, dude? I mean, that's so prejudiced. That's not what he says, right? The first thing he says is, Nathaniel, here's a true Israelite with no deceit in him. He pays him a compliment. It encourages me, it gives me hope that when Jesus looks at us, his first thoughts are love and grace, even in our sin. Nathaniel starts out as a doubter, but then he encounters Jesus, who welcomes him as one that he's known so well, but he's never met before. And even though they'd never met, Jesus calls Nathaniel a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And his assessment is a play on words. Literally, in Genesis, we encounter Jacob, whose name uh, means literally deceiver. And God ultimately changes Jacob's name to mean Israel, which literally means here's one who sees God. And so we could render Jesus' words to uh, Nathaniel. Here's one who's all Israel and no Jacob. Here's a true Israelite. No deceit in him. And so we're all sinners by nature, right? We all sin. But there are some people who are by nature are more open than others, who are kind of just real live their lives real honestly, who live their lives like an open book. And Jesus knew this about Nathaniel. And Jesus knew about Nathaniel. He knows all that he knows about each one of us as well. He's known all about us even before we were born, and he calls us to follow him. The greeting startles Nathaniel, and Jesus explains that he saw him while he was sitting under a fig tree. And so both I think both literally he means he saw him under a fig tree, but there's also a lot of meaning in what he says when he saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. Literally, it would mean that he was meditating on Scripture. He was meditating and pondering on God. Today, he might say, I saw you burning the midnight oil as you were reading God's Word. Jesus knew that Nathaniel was seriously studying God's Word and was serious about God. And Jesus had alluded to Jacob in the reference that he made. Here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And in verse 50, he makes another reference to to Jacob. And it's quite possible that Nathaniel was reading the Old Testament, reading about Jacob in Genesis, and it might add to why Nathaniel so readily accepts Jesus as the Messiah. Nathaniel's doubts vanish immediately, and he claims Jesus as the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus then says to Nathaniel and to others, he says, you will see greater things than that. Now, he, when he says the word you, he's not using the singular. He's using the Texas version, y'all. He's talking about Nathaniel and all the disciples, including us. He's saying, y'all will see greater things than this. Y'all will see heaven, the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus is using an image that springs from Jacob's life. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob is en route from Beersheba to Haran, uh, he stops in Bethel and he spends the night and he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, God gives him a vision in his dream. And he sees a vision of a staircase, and the staircase touches the earth, but the staircase also goes all the way up and touches the heaven. And 
And on the staircase, Jacob sees these angels of God ascending and descending on the staircase. And, and he's imagining this is the place where heaven meets earth. And he wakes up and he's so excited. He, he says basically, how awesome is this place? None other than the house of God. And, and this is the gate of heaven. And he names the place Bethel, which literally means the house of God. And in the dream, Jacob sees that this as being the point of connection between earth and heaven. And, and Jesus is telling Nathaniel and all the disciples in this moment that this finally has come to reality, that it's not a place, but it's a person. And Jesus is the person that where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is the way. Jesus is literally the door from earth to meet with God and in the heavens. And so... He is literally saying, I am the fulfillment of this vision that God gave Jacob so many years ago. And Jesus is calling us out from underneath the tree to come and see. Look at the story again. Nathaniel's called out from underneath the fig tree. And Nathaniel goes. He's a little bit skeptical, but he, he goes. He chooses to give Jesus a chance. How easily he could have said, ah, this guy's from Nazareth. It's not going to be worth my time or... You know, what could he possibly do for me? And he may have been thinking those things. He probably was, but he went anyway. And he placed himself in a position to meet with God. Whenever we heed God's call to leave the fig tree, we open ourselves up to see God present and at work in the most unexpected places and people. And the old assumptions fall and a, and a, a new life and a new world arise and the fulfillment of God's promises and earthly life happen in this place nobody would expect called Nazareth. The last place that we could have thought possible is often the first place that God chooses. And he says, come and see. Our salvation and our healing happen where we thought nothing good could happen. And Jesus says, come and see. Reconciliation and love are revealed in relationships we were certain that nothing good could come from. And Jesus says, come and see. The seemingly hopeless situations of life begin to bear fruit. Jesus says, come and see. Words of forgiveness and compassion are spoken by people we were sure would never say those things. Come and see. God puts life back together in Nazareth. There's more happening in Nazareth than we could ever imagine possible. You see, not just anything good comes from Nazareth. The one who is good comes from Nazareth. You see, that's what God does. God works in the unexpected places and in unexpected ways, and we praise God for that. Do you have a Nazareth in your life? It could be a situation. It could be a place. It could be a relationship with another that you ponder and you wonder, can anything good come from this? And Jesus sees us. He knows us. He knows our dreams. He knows our fears. He knows our hopes, our disappointments. And he calls to us to follow him. Come and see. Come and see. He promises us, you will see. You will see greater things than these. If we go with him, we're going to see miracles. We're going to see times where heaven meets earth. We're going to see glimpses of God's glory here on earth. We're going to be like Philip, and we're going to get to partner with God in helping bring other people to meet with Jesus. Come and see, and you will see greater things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...
this story of the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. And God, the way that you work unexpectedly. You work in the places that are dark and broken and there seems to be not no hope or very little hope. And yet, God, you, you brought your son up in this place and he came from Nazareth, the place that no one in that region or no one in the world would expect the Savior of the world to come from. God, if you can work in those places, you can work anywhere, through any life. Well, God, we're so grateful for the hope that comes to us from the story in the gospel. The hope and the knowledge that you work in the difficult places. You do things that, we, that go far beyond what we could hope for or imagine. And God, we're grateful. We pray, God, that you would give us a little measure of faith like Nathaniel had to, when the invitation comes, to come and see that we get up and we go, even in the midst of our doubts and our skepticism, that you would prompt us to go and to follow. God, we're grateful. God, we pray that you would continue to do great things in those difficult places. We pray for situations even in the midst of this room represented by people here that we don't even know, but God, you know. They know how hard it is. God, I pray that you give hope, that you give faith. God, that you move in ways that go beyond our understandings and our expectations. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.